The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to say, uh, a few times. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, there. I hope that got it out of my system. What I want to say to you this morning is, is first of all, a question. How are you doing? You doing okay? I'm A, asking. Hi, I just met you. My name's Bill. Things going okay with you? A, ask. And then two, you know, I love the hat you're wearing. It's just beautiful. I admire something, triple A, A, ask. B, admire. And this is going to get you confused at the end of this. And the third thing is admit. In the course of a conversation with someone maybe you don't know, you don't have to do this. Remember, what this church is attempting to do by God's grace is see like every kind of human group on the planet, those that are closest to us often are the ones who are first in the kingdom. And the way uh, we meet other people is by asking them questions, admiring things about them, and then admitting. Admitting what? You lower the bar to where it actually is. You know, I used to sit in my dorm room. You know, I had a lot of problems, continue to have quite a few. And, and I just watched the world circle like I was in some kind of giant whirlpool going down for the third time as I'd had too much to drink, and I was totally self-centered and crazy and amoral. And they're like, in their mind going, yeah, that kind of sounds like me, you know, that kind of, kind of you're somebody that I can, I can talk to because you're just a normal person uh, you, you, you with problems. I ask, I, I admire, and then I admit, and that gives entree, and, and by God's grace, I do this all the time. When you guys come in the door, it's like one of the best times of my week. I know this is the way God made me. He made me kind of an evangelist, a, a people person. I, I'm, I just am like that. It is not anything I've done. It is what he does. Because when he came into the swirling world that I was in, I changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to some degree. And what we want to do is reach our world And remember, it starts with the 8 to 15 people closest to us. 95% of people, at least in America, I'm told, come to faith through someone extremely close to them. It's that 8 to 15 people around you. So you don't have to go into, (laughs) like I did this week with Brother Kirk Kaigenau, he takes me to that, that military grill that's so great. Somebody tell me what it is. Ask Admire. Come on. What? Mission Barbecue. Hey, good name, right? Mission. Different kind of mission, perhaps. My mission was to eat all the pork I could, I think. But, but right at noon, they start to play the Star Spangled Banner. And, and I couldn't help myself. I started singing. And if you've been there at noon, all these voices are singing as you're going. And I'm thinking, I'm just joining the throng. And then they come after, up to me afterwards with a peach cobbler and give it to me for free because I was the only one in the room, apparently, that was actually singing the song. So uh, uh, Kurt was slightly embarrassed to have me there, as usual. But I am 
given by God this task, and I love people, and I'm going to reach my world little by little, inch by inch, because he lives in me. You know, very years ago, I, I've told you the story before, but it bears repeating. <laughs> I will probably be preaching some as we transition to Mark's uh, 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 leadership, and certain uh, minor changes, in a sense, uh, will happen here. But this gives me an opportunity, because you know I believe repetition is the mother of knowledge. So I had some friends. I was a brand new Christian, maybe a year old. I'm sitting there with my wife-to-be on a couch and griping. There's my Christian testimony. There's an admit. Griping. In fact, angry, upset, because a couple of my friends had devastating things happen. I, I can't tell you all of it. I can just t tell you that one of them was losing his sight. And, you know, it just, it just makes you weep when this stuff happens to your friends and, and they have cancer and this thing's going on. Another one had a career-ending injury, perhaps, and everything was going bad and I'd been praying for him. And, and honestly, I was accusing the Lord. I was like, you know, I, I've come to you and this, this is it? Like the worst things are happening to my best friends? Is this the deal we made? Is this our, you know, just, and I'm whining to Melanie, who was a lifelong Christian from, from the cradle to that moment. She, she belonged to Jesus. And I'm going over my stuff, and I'm just half crazed with, with anger and frustration and my own self-righteousness. And in the middle of that, this begins to play. Uh, it's uh, by Carol King. Uh, when you're down and troubled, I'm not going to sing it, and you need a helping hand, and nothing, oh, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me, and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest night. I mean, the needle dropped into the groove when my rant began to wind down. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call, and I'll be there. He doesn't say he'll heal your people's problems, the Lord Jesus. Or Carol King, I believe, wasn't inspired to say that, but she did say this. If the sky above you should turn dark and full of clouds and that old north wind should begin to, to blow, keep your head together and call my name out loud. Soon I'll be knocking at your door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and, and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with you. Bill, I have a relationship with you. You can trust me with both time and eternity. You can call on me. Soon you'll hear me knocking at your door, whatever the issue is. You are not God. You do not have all the information surrounding the activities that you're so upset about. But you just call out my name and you know wherever I am. I'll come running to see you again. Yes, I'll be there. You've got a friend. Isn't it good to know that you've got a friend? There's a kid here who's in a lot of, lot of, lot of trouble. Bartimaeus, chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. Jesus is going to the Passover. It is that time where they remember that blood was spilled by lambs, by by uh, a sheep all over the nation of Israel as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord to save them 
to deliver them from evil, to get them out of bondage and of slavery. There was life change coming forward, performed by something beyond them. And while they're moving towards that, unbeknownst to them, they're celebrating the coming of the real Savior, Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And people in droves were coming to a little town called Jericho. They came to Jericho. And Jericho is about 15 miles from where the Passover was going to be held in Jerusalem. There would be as many as 20,000 priests and Levites there to carve up animals, to do what they didn't really understand, which was give a visual expression to the idea of sin is atoned for by sacrifice, and in our case, by a precious, precious blood, not simply this, the, the blood of lambs and, and, and goats and bulls, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so they're there, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, the Lord Jesus a great crowd was there, and Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, Bar means son, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, when Jesus is in a place at that time, he had become so fainful, uh, fa uh, uh, famous because of his uh, uh, mighty works, the amazing miracles that he was doing. People would crowd around him no matter where he went. And it was typical of a rabbi, a teacher in the, in the uh, land of Israel, to be walking down the street going places. It was not like you could call an Uber or a Lyft or something like that. You were walking. And people surrounded you, and they're asking, peppering you with questions like him. He knows everything. We know he knows everything. Maybe they don't know that, but we know it. And they pepper him with questions, and then they're trying to listen and hear. And some in the crowd hate him because he threatens their religious foundation in their thinking. No, rather than what was really true, he is fulfilling their own prophecies with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. But he's there, and people are asking him questions because that's the way things happen. And some say, Josephus said something that's probably pretty crazy. He said in Jerusalem this time of year, as many as three million people would show up. Well, a later, a later scholar came up with the idea of about 200,000. Josephus was, was noted for, he was a great kind of Jewish scholar and general, and he, uh, not a great general, and he had his information wrong in all likelihood. That's immaterial to you, but to get to Jerusalem, you had to go on a pathway through Jericho, and Jericho was filled with those priests and Levites who actually lived 15 miles from the great city because every year there were so many sacrifices being made, they had to travel that 15-mile place. And here Jesus is. Here are all these religious folk. Here are all those, I think it was 12 and above, young men who have to go to Jerusalem during the time of Passover. It was required by the law or at least by the teachers of the time. Massive amounts of people, not all of them went. Some just had, couldn't go. Maybe they're crippled. Maybe they're blind. And they're standing or sitting alongside the road. And a stream, a river of humanity is going to Jerusalem. And one group is listening to Jesus. Great crowd. And there's 
a blind beggar. Now, this is not a beggar day. This is not a blind man day. This is a celebration of deliverance from Egypt day. And he's sitting there by the side of the road. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say this. Forgive me, I can't restrain. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is a man who is in touch with the reality of his situation. I don't know what it's like to be blind, but I know what it's like to be lost. And I know my need was great. I'm a minor league sinner. His need was massive in nature. To be born, perhaps born blind, or at least blind most of your life. And he's sitting there. And what happens, of course, the warm and loving people have compassion and throw dimes and quarters at him. No. No, that didn't happen. He's just screaming. He doesn't care what happens. He is on a mission when he hears that Jesus, the miracle worker, is coming through. And many in the crowd, this is, this is how real life goes. This is the honesty of this, rebuked him. Will you shut up? We're trying to listen to the master. Don't you understand that? Doesn't stop him for one second, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, and I'm not going to yell it again. All the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David means that this guy knew enough to link him to the Davidic line, which was the line from which the Messiah of Israel, Israel's salvation, Israel's leader, Israel's great king was coming. And when he says son of David, there are a lot of hackles being raised out here by religious people who say, you're saying this is the Messiah? He's the one who was to come? Not buying it. This is a fake charlatan, phony scoundrel. They can't say it out loud. There's a massive crowd there that believe in him. But something's going on. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped for me. Jesus will stop for you. And said, call him. Hundreds of thousands of people possibly there, at least tens of thousands. And he says, call him. You can walk by the beggar. We all do. We can walk by those in many kind of states without doing anything. I hope at least we pray for them. But he named him. He says, call him, that one, the one screaming over there. And they called the blind man saying to him, they had just rebuked him. Now they're saying, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Right now, he's calling some of the yous in this room to himself in great love. And it says this, and we love the symbol of this. It's included for a reason. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. People were probably pushing him. I don't know how he found him. But there is this moment where he rips off everything. That he is the thing that comforts him, the thing that cares for him, the thing that keeps him warm. He chucks it for the sake of speaking to Jesus Christ. If Jesus called him, and he's calling people in this room, he's going to run. He's filled with the logic of the situation. I can't do anything about my blindness. But it is alleged that this man can do something. And the people around him said, take heart. He's calling for you. They believe something good might happen. And throwing off the cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, the, the cloak can represent our old life. 
It can represent my dissolute life. It can represent my angry life, a whole kind of things. But this boy knew something. He knew that he wanted change. He wanted it in his eyes, but somehow he wants the whole, uh, the whole boat, everything offered, throwing off its goal. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus says this, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's an interesting question. I mean, Jesus, if, if you're so wise, don't you know? But is it possible there's a, a number of things that humanity needs even more than a release from blindness? There's a darkness in the human soul that is far more deadly than visual blindness. We see it being performed out of dark souls in our culture right now. Why dark? Because Jesus, although he is Lord, is not yet in many, I'll use myself, he's not yet our Lord. This is America's disease. But Jesus is the cure. What do you want me to do for you? America, individual, person. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, boom, go your way. Your faith has made you well. His faith? No, his faith in Jesus. His trust in the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It is indeed so sweet to trust in Jesus. Would that everyone heard his voice screaming. Would that everyone had made a, a, a change right there and then. How many in a, in a spreading wave of information heard that a blind man had been saved named Bartimaeus? He was persistent. He was locked in. Hence, Jesus' response is a compliment of his faith. His response to Jesus was immediate. You don't have to wait. He's here right now. You can call on his name and you'll know wherever you are, he'll come running. You've got a friend. You don't have to finish something. You don't have to perform something. He's here right now. And he knew, and, and, and Bartimaeus knew precisely what he wanted. What is it you want? Use this moment. What is it you want? Jesus is here. And he says, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Is this something we pump up or we hear a radio preacher talk about? I believe in mysticism in the best sense of the world, word, that he's right here, right now, that he lives inside me, that he speaks to human hearts. What is it that you need? Really, really, tell yourself the truth and then ask him for that. He gives and gave gifts unto men. This guy knew precisely what he wanted. If we'll go, William Barclay said this, if we'll go as desperately definite as Bartimaeus, things will happen. Your prayer might not be answered, not that one, but something much greater might come out of a living relationship with Christ. I have news for you. I look around the room. How much do we really control, moms and dads? Very little. If we give our best to our children, do they all come out just shining and smiling? Not necessarily, because somewhere they have choices to make. And yet, that spiritual blindness can be overcome 
by the might and power of the living God. And that child, that friend, may be on a course that you can't see yet, like my friends were, who both received back healing for the problems that they had physically. But that's minor league stuff. That's nothing compared to what Jesus can do in turning a heart of stone into flesh. There's a, was a preacher whose name was George Matheson. He was one of eight children. He was a brilliant student, a bizarrely brilliant. Um, called to ministry. Or, or at least that's what he thought. You know, when you minister, you got to get up here and talk, right? And I, I get tired of hearing people talk from, from podiums. Some of us are ridiculous. I may be one of them. doesn't really matter in a sense because if Jesus makes himself real, then we're all good. But this boy was a genius and gifted almost in an astounding way, the compensation of a holy God to him. Why? Because by the age of 20, he was completely blind. His genius was, in a sense, given him by God in some kind of compensatory way. I, I make my own suspicious amusings on that public here. But there are worse things than are being blind. There's being lost, able to see and being lost. While studying for ministry, his eyesight began to diminish to such a degree that his fiance, here's a lovel, lovely moment for the Christian, I belong to Jesus, I'm in the victory. Here's what happens to George Matheson. His fiance canceled their wedding plans dissolved the engagement, and left him, similar to blind Bartimaeus, almost alone, except for his friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his beloved sister, who chose for years, as I did the math, perhaps 20 years, to give her life so that his ministry would flourish. His sister was a gift from God throughout his theological studies until she met and married her husband, and George was left alone except for Jesus. On the eve of his sister's wedding, George felt emotionally destitute. George was 40 years old, and he says he some, suffered something alone in his house that he does not describe except in its effect, which included excruciating mental pain. Listen to his recitation of the moment of those hours. He began to compose a hymn, which I'm sure most of us know it was his most famous musical offering to the Lord. That night, it was called, O Love That Wilt Not Let Me Go. He says, my hymn was composed in the manse, that's the preacher's house, of the place I was living on the uh, evening of the 6th of June, 1882, when I was 40 years of age. I was alone at the manse at that time. It was the night of my sister's marriage, and the rest of the family were staying overnight in Glasgow. Something happened to me, which was known only to myself. Only to myself, which caused me the most severe mental suffering. He's, he's basically losing his mind after being blind and feeling deserted. To him was the fruit of that suffering. It was the quickest, to, that the hymn that he was writing was the fruit of that moment of suffering. He begins to write it. It was the quickest, he says, in his own words, bit of work I ever did in my life. I had the impression of having it dictated to me, mysticism, 
by some inward voice rather than of working it out myself. I'm quite sure that the whole work was completed in five minutes and equally sure that it never received at my hands any retouching or correction. I, I have no natural gift of rhythm. All the other verses I have ever written are manufactured articles. This came, this one came like a day spring from on high. Oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart stores its borrowed ray, that in thine sunshine blaze its day, may brighter, fairer be, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. He laid down everything for the Lord. He laid down his anger, his depression, everything, trusting that life would spring out of his suffering and pain. Ultimately, so famous and useful was this wonderful preacher that his congregation would swell blind man to 2,000 people. And Queen Victoria asked Matheson to speak at Balmoral Castle. She was deeply affected by his message regarding the patience of Job. She had it printed and distributed. The blindness and circumstances which could have broken Matheson served to expand his ministry and magnify his Savior. What happened to blind Bartimaeus? Well, maybe something like happened to George Matheson. You see, the slight momentary afflictions prepare us, the Bible says, for an eternal weight of glory. That the crimson blood of Jesus as it floods uh, into our life and cleanses, it not only cleanses, it renews and the Holy Spirit empowers us for what he has really created us for in spite of the difficulties and trials of life. I'm going to conclude with this in a guidepost uh, article written probably 28 years ago. There's a thing called determination. In Guideposts, it's, it published the story of Jim Stovall, who became totally blind at age 29. While he still had partial vision, he volunteered at a school for the blind. He was assigned to help a four-year-old boy blind and severely handicapped. Stovall spent considerable time trying to convince the boy he could tie his own shoes or climb stairs in spite of his limitations. No, I can't, the boy insisted. Yes, you can, Stovall replied. No, I can't, the verbal battle went on. Meanwhile, Stovall fought his own limitations. Because of his deteriorating vision, he decided he had to quit his college courses. On his way to withdraw from college, he decided to resign his volunteer position as well. It's just too tough, he explained. I, I can't do it. Yes, you can, said a little voice beside him. 
It was the four-year-old who refused to tie his own shoes. No, I can't, said Stovall with conviction. Yes, you can. Stovall realized that if he didn't continue, the child would give up too. So Stovall stayed in school and graduated three and a half years later. The same week he graduated, his little friend <laughs> tied his shoes and climbed a flight of stairs. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say you won't have. I look around the room. I know what some of you have been through. I haven't experienced it, but I've had my own. It's agonizing. It's horrible what you've been through. And yet, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I've overcome this thing. I'm going to rescue you from spiritual blindness. I'm going to give you new hearts. I'm going to make something beautiful out of your life. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, Jesus understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful from my life. Philippians tells us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He is the one who heals and makes the blind see and sets the prisoners free. The ABCs of the Christian gospel are these. The first thing it, you need to receive the Lord Jesus and not any work you do, but a simple question, a simple statement, admit you're a sinner. Ha, have mercy on me, said the blind man. I have a terrifying need. Have mercy on me. A. B. Believe Christ is the only Savior. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which a man might be saved. C. Choose to follow him. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, you were wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was put on you and with your stripes, we have been healed. If there's one person who just resonated with the ABCs, Lord, let them see the cloak coming off them and them running to Jesus and receiving full healing and restoration of spiritual blindness and of their whole life and bring forth from the ground crimson beauty that shall never end in those lives.